0: And now we pray that God speaks to you in a personal way as you listen to this week's message from Pastor Adam Camp. Take your Bibles and open to John chapter 10. John chapter 10, we're continuing our sermon series that we've entitled, I Am. If you're new this morning, welcome. We're so glad you're with us. Whether you're joining us live, uh, joining us online at home, we're glad you're with us. Or you're in our overflow service, we're glad you're with us. Just, Just so thankful that we can gather together and worship sing praises to his name, and then open up the truth of God's word. We've been walking through this sermon series, which is basically going through the book of John and walking and thinking and understanding the seven different times that Jesus uses the phrase, I am. And so a couple of weeks ago, we have them up on the screen as well. I want you to see them. We did, I am the bread of life. And we talked about Jesus gives us everything we need physically, but well beyond the physical aspect of life. Jesus gives us everything we need spiritually as well. I am the light of the world was last week, how the light shines in the darkness. Uh, The darkness has not overcome it. This week, John chapter 10, I am the door. Then we'll do, I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then I am the vine. Seven specific times where Jesus uses the phrase I am. And I've really enjoyed studying through this series and teaching through it and making the connections for you, especially in the Old Testament and the I am of Exodus chapter 3 when God spoke through the burning bush. How Jesus is claiming to be Messiah in every one of these statements. And the connection he's making for not only people in the first century, uh, but the people today today. And so I pray that as we continue to work through this series over the next several weeks, that God speaks to you very clearly, that you understand more about who he is and that your faith in him really, really grows and and deepens. So let's jump right in this morning. John chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. We have it on the screen for you as well. The words of Jesus. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. Verse 7, so Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. I come that they may have life and have it Abundantly Now, Jesus, of course, was writing or speaking here in the first century. John was writing to a first century audience. And so we always want to try to understand what he intended to mean in the first century, but also try to figure out how we can apply that to our lives. And so I'm going to give you truth this morning right out of these verses. And my goal every time I preach is to give you the truth, not based on what somebody else says, but based on what the scripture says. And so I want to point you out and I want you to see and understand exactly what Jesus says and exactly what Jesus means. So truth number one is this, this morning, from this text. Jesus is our protection. Jesus is our protection. Now, the context here in chapter 10 is the idea of sheep. Now, if you don't know anything about sheep, and it's hard for us in our culture because I doubt if we've got many shepherds in here. Any shepherds by trade? Just out of curiosity, anybody owns sheep? Nobody owns any sheep? Has anybody ever owned sheep? A couple? Okay. So a few people may know a little bit about this. Sheep apparently aren't real smart. I've never owned a sheep, but I can read about it. And from what I've read, they're they're not real smart. They're defenseless oftentimes. They're not quite sure where they should go. And they need desperately a shepherd. Right? They need someone to lead them. It's interesting to me when you study through Scripture, you see that Jesus uh, uses oftentimes this analogy of sheep and shepherds. And you see it in the Old Testament as well. And typically what you read in Scripture is that we as believers are the sheep and God is our shepherd, right? So it tells you a lot about who we are. It tells you about our need for someone to lead us, about how oftentimes we're defenseless, about oftentimes how we don't make good choices, especially spiritually. And so we see references really all through the Bible of shepherds and sheep. Moses was a shepherd. You probably know that. David was a shepherd. In fact, Psalm 23 that we worked through, it seems like five or six years ago now, It's just a few months back during the pandemic when it was really uh, beginning, we worked through Psalm 23, all about sheep and shepherd, right? And so the sheep would wander around during the day, uh, the shepherd would lead them, and then at night, in order to kind of protect them from the wolves, the shepherd would lead them into a sheepfold, which was an area that they had built that had sometimes some walls or just some brush they had put together that kind of acted as a barrier, And they would create one door so the sheep could get in and get out, but nothing else could without coming through that door. And oftentimes, someone would lay across that door in order to protect the sheep. Now, Jesus kind of gives us within this context this understanding, and I want you to see this, that there are things and forces and people kind of out there that are dangerous for the sheep. And so Jesus uses these phrases. I want you to see these. So pull up verse one if you would. Let's just notice a couple of times through this text where Jesus is drawing the attention to the danger. Verse one truly, truly I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. Right? Verse five talks about a stranger that they're not going to follow because they don't know the voice of the stranger. Verse 8 says, all who come before me are thieves and robbers. Verse 10, again, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. So, So Jesus is really painting this real clear picture for us, this contrast between the thief and the robber and the danger and Jesus, right? A contrast between stealing and killing and destroying and abundant life. And so Jesus says, listen, the sheepfold was a place of protection. And so when Jesus uses this phrase, I am the door, in the context of the sheep and the shepherd, Jesus is saying, listen, I'm placing myself between you and the dangers of the world. You understand that? It's almost as if Jesus is becoming for us this buffer. Now, I want to think about verse 10 just for a few minutes because there's a lot of interesting debate. And I know you guys don't spend your time reading a lot of commentaries and studying. But it's interesting to me. And so when I study through Scripture and I prepare to preach, I typically read through a bunch of different commentaries. I'm just curious of different people's opinions. And you'd probably be amazed to find out even among scholars there's disagreement sometimes. And in this particular verse, verse 10, there is some disagreement And so I want you to kind of see both sides, and I think both sides can be helpful for us to understand kind of the context and the intent here of what Jesus is getting at. Verse 10 very simply says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Now the question that people ask, and maybe you've asked, is who is the thief? Like who are we talking about here? Who's the thief that wants to steal and kill and destroy? And there's kind of two tracks of thinking kind of two schools of thought among scholars the first one i'm going to talk about is that the thief is satan right and ultimately we would all agree that ultimately satan is in charge of evil or kind of however you want to phrase that satan is the ultimate thief satan does want to steal and kill and destroy so i want to take just a couple of minutes i don't want to spend a lot of a lot of time here but i want to take a couple of minutes kind of giving you a biblical understanding of who satan is because in our world, typically, when we think about the devil, maybe the first thing that pops in our head is a, a red guy in a little suit with a tail, uh, a pitchfork, and two little red horns, right? That's kind of our thought of who the devil is. Well, you understand that's not really a biblical understanding of Satan. So I'm going to give you just a little bit of truth, just kind of enlighten you a little bit to help you understand exactly who this thief is as we think about the devil. The first thing we understand about the devil is that he is very real and very powerful. If you think the devil is kind of a a figment of somebody's imagination, or if you think he's not real, or if you think he's kind of weak and doesn't have any real control or power, you're mistaken. Here are just a few verses that speak about the devil. Revelation 12.9 says, the great dragon... Was thrown down that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan. Listen how he's described the deceiver of the whole world. Right? The deceiver of the whole world. 1 Peter 5 8 says, Be sober minded. He's speaking to you, believer. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Right? The, the enemy is not just kind of passive. He's not just sitting back waiting. He's actively looking. The Bible says he's prowling around looking for someone to devour. He's very real, and he's very, very powerful. Here's the second thing I want you to know about Satan. He's a liar. He lies to you. Second right, Corinthians 4, 4 says, In their case, the God of this world, they're speaking about Satan, his control over this world, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers... To keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Right? Nobody ever walks into sin thinking, man, if I commit this sin, it's going to lead me to ruin. Nobody ever thinks that. Instead, sin is appealing to us. It's enticing to us. Right? We think about how fun it's going to be or how much pleasure is going to be involved or how much we're going to like it. Right? Why is that? Because the devil lies to us. He tricks us into believing that if we do these things wrong, we'll be fine. Nobody will ever know. We can stop whenever we want to. Right? The devil's a liar. You understand that? He's going to trick you. He's going to deceive you. Here's the third thing I want you to understand about the enemy. He's limited, and in the end, he will not eventually win right we think about the devil and sometimes it's very easy for us to become afraid and think about the power of the devil the devil compared to the power of christ is nothing right jesus is infinitely more powerful than satan and so we read verses like revelation twenty ten, and the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were they will be tormented day and night forever and ever There's coming a time where Satan will ultimately be destroyed, but he's very powerful, he's very real, he's trying to deceive you, he's trying to lie to you, he's trying to trick you. We need to be mindful of that, but understand the power that Christ has over Satan. Now that's kind of the idea of thinking that the thief is Satan, and I would tend to agree with that logic. I would tend to agree with that thinking that in this context we're thinking about Satan is the ultimate thief. But in John chapter 10, specifically, and again, this is just a little side note on biblical interpretation. It's always important when we study God's, God's word to understand the context of what we're reading. And in this context, in the book of John, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees and the religious leaders. And if you don't have to do it, but if you were to go back and look at nine, you would see that's kind of where this conversation started. So, in that context, Jesus is speaking of specific people, specific people in this verse that are thieves, that will lie, that will steal, that will kill, that will destroy. So, we need to be mindful. Listen, Satan is the ultimate thief, but there are also people in this world that want to trick you, that want to lie to you, that want to deceive you. Right? Acts chapter 20, verse 28 says this Pay careful attention to yourselves. And to all the flock, right? That's speaking of the church in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which He obtained with His own blood. I know that after my departure, listen, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Right? We need to be mindful that there are people today that want to steal our joy, that want to kill our hope that want to destroy our faith, right? We understand that there are people in the world that if we're not careful, if we're not guarded, we'll allow them to do those things in our lives. And so we understand that we face difficulties and struggles. Now go back, pull that first point back up for me, if you would, please, because I want to kind of draw this contrast and help us think through this, right? We're talking about the struggles of the world, the thieves that want to steal and kill and destroy, and the problems we're going to face in the world, right? And we kind of come to this place in our study where we said, listen, Jesus is our protection, right? We see that. He speaks of that in John chapter 10. And if we're going to say Jesus is our protection, does that mean, Adam, that bad things never happen to Christians, Because it's very easy for us to say, listen, Jesus is my protector. If Jesus is my protector, then nothing bad can ever happen to me. Now, that's not what Scripture teaches. I'm going to walk through that in just a second, but here's the danger with that mindset. The danger with the mindset of thinking, listen, if I'm a believer, nothing bad can ever happen to me. Here's the danger. When something bad does happen to you or something difficult comes in your life or you walk through a struggle or a trial, you begin to question the Lord. Like I thought I thought Jesus was my protector. And if he's really my protector, why is he allowing these things to happen to me? If he really does care about me, if he really does love me, why is he allowing me to struggle? Why, why is he allowing this hardship in my life? Why does he let me go through these difficulties? And I'm going to say something to you. I want you to hear it, and I want you to process it just for a second. It's going to be difficult for some of you to understand, and maybe some of you might not even agree with it. But here's what the Scripture teaches. Sometimes it's God's will that we go through difficulties and struggles. Let me say that again. Sometimes it's God's will that we go through difficulties and struggles. The Lord understands that sometimes the best thing that can happen to us is to go through trials in life. You say, why why would that be the case? Why would it matter? Why would God want me to go through difficulties? Wouldn't it be a lot easier for me just to kind of Set all that stuff aside, navigate around it, never walk through the trials. Here's what James 1, beginning in verse 2 says. Listen, count it all joy. Hear that? Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Right, God's protection does not mean you're not going to face difficulties. It does mean that he will walk with us when we go through them. And there's a very big difference there. So for example, we see in Isaiah 41:10, the Lord says, "Fear not for I am with you. Be not dismayed for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand." I mentioned Psalm 23 a few minutes ago, and some of you will remember this passage of Scripture. Psalm 23:4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Deuteronomy 31:6 says, Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. One writer explained it like this. He said, God doesn't pledge to keep us from all worldly suffering and trouble, but he does promise to be with us, to rescue us in his perfect timing and graciously honor us for walking the path of pain with a heart of faith. Jesus is our protector, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's always going to be easy. But it does mean that he loves us and he walks with us and he gives us the strength and the faith to endure the difficulties of life. And and some of y'all need to be reminded of that, right? If I were to go around the room right now and ask how many are facing difficulties, how many are facing trials, probably every one of us on some level, aren't we? We understand this personally personally. And it's in the moments of struggle we need to remember the teaching of Scripture. Because if you're not careful, the enemy's going to lie to you. Your emotions are going to lie to you. The people in the world are going to steal your joy. They're going to steal your faith. They're going to try to kill everything that's good about you. You need to be mindful of this truth. You need to be mindful of this teaching. You need to commit it to memory, commit it to heart, and live it out in your life. And then trust God to do great things through you. And that's not the end it doesn't just stop there there's more to this text i want you to see look at verse 1 again john chapter 10 verse 1 truly truly i say to you he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way that man is a thief and a robber but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep to him the gatekeeper opens the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out when he has brought all when he has brought out all his own he goes before them And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. So we've seen already that Jesus is our protection. He kind of stands in the gap. He walks with us through the difficulties of life. Here's the second truth. Jesus is our guide. Jesus is our guide. He's our protection. He's the door, but he's also our guide. Now within this text, Within these verses, there's a, there's a real personal tone, and I want you to see that, and I want you to understand that, because you need to, to kind of get this truth. Jesus is not some distant God. He doesn't just kind of sit on a throne up in heaven and, and look down upon the things of the earth, and he's callous and he doesn't care, and he, he laughs and maybe makes fun of our misfortunes. That's not who Christ is. In fact, if you were to go back and read all the Gospel of John, you'd see in John chapter 1, the Bible says that Jesus, the Word, became flesh. And the scripture says he made his dwelling among us, right? He lived out his life in our midst. He lived as a human being. Why? Because he cares about us, he loves us, he wants a relationship with us and we see that personal tone kind of built into these verses. For example, verse 3 says to him the gatekeeper opens. Listen, the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Verse 4, when he's brought all his own out, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice, right? We see this idea of comfort. We see this idea of of peace. We see this idea that the Lord knows who we are. He knows our name. He leads us. He guides us. And kind of built into the the fabric of this is this idea that that in difficult times, in struggles, we find great comfort with the Lord. Now, there are never perfect analogies, but maybe one we can all kind of uh, apply a little bit or understand on some level is the analogy of how a parent can bring comfort to a child. And if you're a parent, you understand that. And there there are moments in my life with my four children I can point to and remember very clearly where I or my wife or both of us, we were able to bring comfort to our children. I'll never forget one time when I was going through seminary, I would have to go to Louisville a couple of times a year. And I would do what they call j term. J-term was a very condensed uh, form of a class. And so instead of taking a full semester uh, to do all the reading and all the writing and all the lectures and all the tests, they crammed that into one week. And so you had to do a bunch of reading before you got there. You got to, to class, to the seminary, and you spent uh, every day, all day, Monday through Friday in class. 8 a.m., usually at about 5 o'clock in the evening in class, lectures, a couple of tests during the week. It was a very grueling week. Very difficult week. But it was good because you kind of got a whole semester's worth of credit in one week. And my family would usually go with me, right? Amy and, and the four kids. And she had a cousin up in Indianapolis. So sometimes they would drop me in Louisville, drive on up to Indianapolis, and they'd come back. And typically, we'd try to do something fun as a family. Either before the week started or after it was over. And one year, we decided to go to the Creation Museum in Cincinnati, Ohio. Anybody been to the Creation Museum? Anybody been up a few? Yeah. How about to the Ark Encounter? Okay, a few people. It's fantastic, by the way. If you ever get the chance to go, you should go. The Creation Museum is well done. There are a lot of really, really smart people with PhDs that have studied that say to you, God created everything. And here's the evidence to prove it, man. It is compelling. You ought to go see it. We'd gone to the Creation Museum. This is years ago. Our children were, were really small. Lydia, who's my youngest daughter at the time, was probably two or three I don't remember exactly how old she was, but I just remember very distinctly, and, and if you have uh, children, you'll, you'll understand this, I remember very distinctly we'd come out of one of the big uh, exhibits and there were lots of people I mean, It was just crowded. It seemed like thousands and thousands of people and just kind of shoulder to shoulder and we're just kind of weaving our way through the crowd and we got to the place we we're going to eat, sat down, looked around, and Lydia was nowhere to be found. Now, if you're a parent... And you've ever had that moment where you can't find your child, even for a few seconds, you understand how it feels. It's terrifying. And when three seconds turns to five, turns to 10, turns to 30, turns to a minute, where is Lydia, right? And we're just in this complete panic, you can imagine. And I don't know if it was an angel of the Lord, the voice of the Lord, or an actual human being. I still to this day don't really know. But I heard somebody say, there's a little kid at security that got lost from their parents. And so Amy and I just, you know, just took off running. We had some friends with us. So we left our other kids with them. We didn't leave them behind, by the way. They were with some other people. We just took off running. And they did a neat thing back then at the Creation Museum. They may still do it. When you came in, they took a picture of the whole family. And the idea was you buy the picture. You know how that works. And there's green screen behind you, and they put cool stuff back then. We didn't buy the picture. They snapped the picture. But by the time we got up to the desk, and by the way, what had happened is she'd got separated from us. Uh, after about a 30-second uh, realization, she walked with it. She starts crying. Security guard found her, took her right to the... She was never in any danger. She was fine. They had her sitting on the desk talking to her. She was two or three. She was in here last service. I couldn't tell this person. She couldn't remember anything. Didn't remember her last name. Didn't remember her phone number, nothing. So they pulled up the picture. Uh, they had started looking through pictures until they found her and found us, right? And so she was sitting there, and I'll never forget when we saw her and she saw us, just the comfort, right? Just the comfort we brought her, knowing we hadn't really forgotten her, we hadn't left her, we're here, or everything's going to be okay. And honestly, the comfort it brought Amy and I as well, knowing she's okay, thank you, Lord, you took care of her, right? If you've got kids, grandkids, you understand those moments and what that looks like. And so we, we have a just a little glimpse of, Just a little glimpse of that comfort that we can feel from a parent, how that parent can kind of speak into the life of a child and help that child through difficulties. I want you to understand it's very much like that with Jesus. If we have a personal relationship with him as he leads us, as he is our guide, as he's our protection, there are moments in our lives where he brings us great peace, right? There are moments in our lives when he brings us great Comfort Psalm 48, 14 says, This is God, and our God forever and ever. He will guide us forever. And so I want to think ju- just for a minute about that idea of, of bringing peace, especially but what it, what it looks like for the Lord to guide us and how that plays out. And there are kind of three sub points I want you to see here right in this text. The first one is found in verse 3 there, John ten three. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Here's the first kind of sub-point we've got under this. He calls to us. He is not silent. If you you think that Jesus is silent in your life and, and doesn't have anything to say to you or doesn't want to speak to you, that's not what the Scripture teaches. His heartbeat is a personal relationship with you. He wants to lead you and guide you and walk you through difficulties. And he's not silent. He speaks, right? Verse 3 says, the sheep hear his voice. Like it's not as if we have to guess and, and wonder. Jesus wants to lead us. He, he leads us through his word. Did you know this is the place to hear the word of God? Did you know that? Listen, I, I believe that the Lord speaks in other ways. I think there are certainly other ways the Lord speaks. But I think the best way and the primary way to hear from the Lord is to read his word. He's already given it to us. He's spoken to us. He's not silent. Here's another thing we need to know from this text. He knows us personally. He knows our name. That's what verse 3 says. The sheep hears his voice. He calls his own sheep by name. Isn't that incredible? Like if you kind of think through that and you understand what that's saying, the creator of the universe, right? The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords knows you by name. Not only does he know you by name, but he wants to lead you and direct you and guide you in your life. Here's the third kind of subpoint. He has a plan and a direction for your life. Right, the Bible says in verse 3: the sheep hear his voice, he calls his own sheep by name, and then does what? He leads them out. The Bible says in verse 4 that the sheep follow him. Like I'm I'm a firm believer, like the older I get, and some of you that have been down the road even farther than I have as far as the Christian walk is concerned, I have absolute certainty that God's got a plan for your life. But the older I get, the more I believe that if you can figure out what God's plan is for your life, the sooner you can figure that plan out and begin to follow it, the better things are going to go for you. Because right, I've met people and have counseled with people over the years that have gotten just spinning their wheels for years and years, not quite certain what they ought to be doing. Listen, God has a plan for you. He's got a direction for you. He wants to guide you. Now let's finish up. Look at verse 7. John chapter 10, verse 7, right? He's uh, our protection. He promises to walk with us. He promises to comfort us. He promises to guide us. Now verse 7, so Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I'm the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. He's our protection. He's our guide. Truth number three, Jesus is our salvation. Jesus is our salvation. Something a door does that we're all very aware of is it provides a way in. Right? And when you look at these ancient sheep folds and what they look like and how they designed them, there was one door. One door in, one door out, right? Not in multiple ways. Not multiple ways to Jesus. When we begin to read this passage of scripture, and understand Jesus. And he says to us very simply, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved. We understand that the only way to salvation is through Christ. That's it. The only way to Jesus, only way to salvation is through Jesus. I'm going I'm to step aside here just for a second, because I want you to understand something. I, I, I think some people kind of struggle with this a little bit. Uh, by the way, there's an election coming up in a few days. Did y'all know that? I told the last service, I think, I think I could at this point have built a nice house with all the flyers that have come in my mailbox. I could have folded them into little you know, pieces of something and built something with it. I mean, I get, it seems like you get eight or ten of those things a day. By the way, if you're in charge of sending those flyers, take me off the list. They all go just right in the trash. I don't even look at them anymore. I just go, I'm, I'm sure y'all are probably the same way. But there's an election coming up, and I'm not going to sit here and tell you who to vote for. It's between you and the Lord. I have my personal opinion. You have yours. You need to vote, first of all. But here's what I want you to understand. If you think for one second that the hope of America is found in any politician, you're wrong. I don't care who you like. I don't care who you're going to vote for. If you think that person is going to save our country and everything's going to come out right because of some laws that we pass, you're missing what Scripture teaches, right? The only way this country is ever going to turn around or go the right direction or go a different direction, whatever you think it ought to do, is through the power of the Lord, right? And, and I'm going to just make it a little more clear for you. I'm going to kind of set it right in your lap. It's really going to happen when believers follow what Christ has called them to do and live out their faith out in the world when you take the light into the darkness. That's when it's really going to change, And so, and I'm I'm not trying to convict anybody, maybe the Lord can do that. If you really want change in our country, maybe it should start with you, right? If you're not happy about the way things are going, ask yourself, am I really praying like I should be? Am I really living out my life as I should be? Am Am I really sharing my faith as I should be? Because we see in this passage and others, listen, the only way to salvation, the only way to hope, the only way to peace is through Jesus, John chapter 14, verse 6. We'll come to this one. This is another I am here in just a few weeks. But listen to what Jesus says. I am the way and the truth and the life. Watch. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is the door to salvation. But I want you to look, as we kind of wind this thing, the last thing this morning, I want you to look at what happens to the person that accepts Christ in verse 9. I'm the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Watch. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. Here's the contrast. I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. You know, Jesus is the only way to heaven. And So if you've never prayed to receive Christ this morning, If you've never repented of your sins, here in just a few minutes, we're going to have this time of invitation. And after all that's done, we finish singing, worshiping. I'm going to be right down front. I want to explain to you about Christ. I want to explain to you about salvation. But I want you to understand whether you're a follower of Christ or not, the Bible is clear, right? Jesus is the way. When we follow Him in salvation, He gives us peace and abundance he gives us protection he guides us he is the way to salvation in heaven the only question is will you trust him now let's pray together father we thank you again for this text we thank you for the opportunity of studying your word father we thank you for the beautiful statements that jesus has given us time and time again father We thank you that Jesus is the door, that he provides protection for us and guidance for us and salvation for us, Father. I pray that we would just take that truth to heart. Father, I pray we would live out our faith. And I pray right now, Father, if there's someone here that's never prayed to receive Christ, this would be the moment. Father, convict them of their sins. Let them see their need for a Savior. Father, their desire to to experience, maybe for the first time, that true hope and that joy found only in Christ. You work, Father, in ways that we don't even understand. And we'll give you the praise and the honor and the glory for all that you do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.